Welcome back to the ADRA Insider Podcast. I'm Teresa Ferreira, and today we are going to be looking at how ADRA's work at home and abroad serves to promote health in all aspects. Before we start, here are a few preliminaries. To begin, we really hope you enjoyed our most recent mega episode highlighting our work in Ukraine. It has been over a year now since the invasion began, and the work of supporting Ukrainians continues to be important. It was an honor for us to tell the stories of brave people who have survived the horrors of war, and hope that if you haven't heard the episode yet, you'll give it a listen. It's a great inside look at the real-life effects of the war and how people continue on in the face of immense challenges. Secondly, we know that many people right now are rightly concerned about the situation in Sudan. Back in Episode 5 of this season, we heard from our gender specialist, Maddie, about one of the projects that ADRA has been running in Sudan— making clean drinking water more accessible to local communities and ensuring that water collection becomes an opportunity for women's equality. At present, the situation in Sudan is still volatile and uncertain. For now, we can at least confirm that the local and international employees of Adra Sudan are safe from the violence. We do plan on dedicating an episode to what is happening there But right now, we are still working on gathering the relevant information. Thirdly, the Disaster and Famine Relief Offering, or DFRO, is coming up on May 13. We have been promoting DFRO for a while now, so make sure to follow us on all our social media platforms to stay up to date with all our campaigns. The Disaster and Famine Relief Offering happens annually. Seventh-day Adventist churches across Canada give generously to help support the survivors of disasters and famines around the world. This year, the offering will be gathered shortly before Mother's Day. And I can't help but think of all the mothers around the world who are working so hard to provide for their families. The DFRO is an opportunity for churches in Canada to make a tangible difference in the lives of these brave, resilient women, their children, and their communities. For those in our audience who are members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please give generously to this cause on May 13. And remember, it's your loose offerings that matter on that day. Now, having covered all of that, let's get into the bulk of today's episode. We are still in our year of justice, and one important part of creating a just world is promoting health in all aspects of life, physical, mental, spiritual, social, and so on. Our executive director, Steve Matthews, can elaborate a bit more. In keeping with our Seventh-day Adventist values, ADRA is passionate about promoting health in multiple ways. We work hard to increase access to clean water, to bring children back from the brink of starvation and malnutrition, and to restore and maintain basic human dignity for people who have been abused, neglected, or otherwise harmed. Health is not a luxury for people who can afford organic food and gym memberships, 
It is a central part of human dignity for all. A lot of Agile projects that might fall under other categories, food security, gender equality, and climate resilience, actually have a lot of overlap with the concept of health. Our gender equality work in Thailand, for example, focuses on keeping young girls in school, making sure that girls have the support they need to pursue education, also means keeping them safe from human trafficking and sexual exploitation. We mentioned similar things in our episode on water projects in Sudan. Justice and equality for women and girls lead to healthier lives for them. For another angle on health, many of our food security programs involve kitchen gardens, small-scale home-based farming that helps people grow vegetables to feed their families and sell in their communities. The health benefits of a vegetable garden are obvious. Vegetables are perhaps the most important part of a balanced diet and proper nutrition. Helping people to eat healthier has always been a prominent practice in Seventh-day Adventism, and we are proud to carry on that tradition. Food security projects serve health in other ways. During the COVID-19 pandemic, ADRA partnered with Seventh-day Adventist churches around Canada's East Coast to establish community gardens. In a time when people were mostly confined to living indoors and being away from others, outdoor community gardening spaces gave people the opportunity to be outside and to interact with neighbors safely in fresh, open air. The gardens were not only about promoting dietary health, but also mental health. In fact, you could say that all of ADRA Canada's national projects have some health element to them. ADRA Canada supports community-based initiatives such as food banks, community gardens, inner city services, and youth programs by partnering with local Seventh-day Adventist conferences and churches, local leadership, and teams of volunteers. These projects span from coast to coast to coast, reaching from city centers to remote communities. For example, for many years, ADRA has supported a meal program at a First Nations school in Alberta, ensuring that students have the nutrition that they need to succeed in their education. Our work for Indigenous communities involves not only providing for their physical health, in this case, making sure school-aged children have enough food to eat, but also working toward their overall well-being. Helping children get educated makes a huge difference. Helping Indigenous children be connected and flourishing in their communities is a crucial step in righting the historic wrongs of Canadian history and in supporting the mental health of people who have endured so much. As we have mentioned already, water is also a crucially important part of how we promote health. While it can be easy to take clean, running water for granted, for many people around the world, access to hygienic water is a real daily struggle. Today, we are filming in a village that is really struggling for water. The river that runs by their village has long ago run dry. Today, after five years of drought, the people are having to dig deeper and deeper into the sand of the dry riverbed to get the water. I'm actually standing on that riverbed right now. The hole is behind me that they're working in. 
cave-ins in the deep sandy hole can cause the death of children. A child narrowly escaped today when a collapse happened. This is why ADRA considers our WASH projects to be such a high priority. WASH stands for water, sanitation, and hygiene. Providing people with clean water to drink, to cook with, and to bathe in is intrinsically related to the promotion of health in general, and often to the restoration of human dignity. In the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic, access to clean drinking water was sparse in the Kibera slum in Nairobi, Kenya. When people were at risk of having to resort to the sewers for their water source, ADRA managed to provide over 50,000 liters of clean water to 4,000 people on a daily basis. Safe drinking water is not only an international problem, however. Last year, communities in Iqaluit, Nunavut, noticed the smell of gasoline coming from their faucets and sinks. When it was confirmed that a fuel leak was compromising local water supplies, ADRA Canada and the Seventh-day Adventist Church immediately responded, sending the community 30 filtration units to make sure people had clean water to cook with and to drink. While more needs to be done for Indigenous communities throughout our country of Canada, ADRA is proud to do what it can to uphold the dignity of Indigenous peoples. Health is not only an individual concern. Sometimes, the best way to maintain health for individual people is by investing into the skills and resources of a community so that groups of people can support each other through unexpected health crises. Sometimes, as in the case of pregnant women, Health is an urgent emergency, but in remote villages around the world, transportation to a hospital or other healthcare facility can be a harrowing, precarious, and expensive journey. As part of our Embrace project in Cambodia, Myanmar, Rwanda, and the Philippines, ADRA created the community-based transport system. I had the opportunity to visit and observe this community-based transport system in the Philippines. Local individuals in the community were selected and trained in basic first aid and life support skills in order to assist women during long rides to the nearest medical facility. This community I visited was a local coastal community that was a 30-minute boat ride from the nearest medical facility. But on stormy times, if you go into labor, you're in trouble. You know, for communities where hospitals are far out of reach, this kind of community-based system of transport helps provide a safe birthing experience in a sanitary clinic under the care of nurses and doctors. Now, our largest health-related emergency response effort was actually related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Our largest coordinated national emergency response was for the COVID-19 pandemic. This response involved collaboration with all seven of the Seventh-day Adventist conferences. The response included food security, essential care kits, as well as psychosocial support. This is a prime example of how, in collaboration with the local Seventh-day Adventist conference, we support local churches and their volunteers as they provide immediate relief 
to disaster survivors. Our response to the pandemic was not, however, limited to Canada. One of the most striking stories of our COVID response comes actually from India. Those of you who regularly read the Canadian Adventist Messenger may have read about this next story already in the April issue of that magazine. We would encourage you to go read the article if you haven't already. But we do also have the article's author, Max, as our producer here on the show. So right now, I'm going to turn it over to him, and he's going to share a reworked extended version of the article that didn't end up making the cut for publication. There is likely nobody in the world who enjoyed the social effects of COVID-19 more than my dog. Some might make the same claim about their own pets, but as far as I can tell, my pup became the happiest creature in the whole world after March of 2020. We all experienced it. Workplaces trimmed down to the minimum of in-person staff, while countless people were forced to adapt to working from home. Our cultural norms evolved. It became acceptable to admit among peers and supervisors that we had fashionably paired a dress shirt and tie with gym shorts on our last Zoom call, during which people from several generations worked tirelessly to unravel the mysteries of the mute button. But for many of us, the constant in a sea of change was the presence of our beloved furry friends. My dog probably doesn't understand the lingering mental health effects that prolonged lockdowns had on his humans. He most likely can't conceptualize the road trips, birthday parties, and communal worship experiences that his humans missed out on. But my dog likely shares one thing in common with many people who lived through the pandemic. He's so happy to have spent more time with his family. That sentiment seems to be a common one, perhaps the single, widely agreed-upon bright side of this whole thing. Many of us had the blessing of spending increased time with loved ones during the uncertain months of COVID lockdowns. It was the thing that made an otherwise confusing and lonely time bearable. But a change of perspective can quickly remind us that the sometimes painful isolation of sheltering in place was itself a privilege. For many people around the world, staying at home to isolate themselves wasn't a real option. For some, the demands of being an essential worker kept them out of the house. For others, living with a large family in a small home in a densely packed urban center meant that ideas like quarantine and lockdowns were basically non-functional concepts. How exactly does one isolate themselves while living in a multi-generational household, in a small physical space, while daily having to go out to the market for life's necessities? This was the case in many parts of India. The high speed of infection and hospitalization combined with the massive population spelled disaster for their healthcare system. By the time the second wave of the pandemic hit India, hospitals were critically overwhelmed. Essential resources for frontline healthcare workers like personal protective equipment became scarce, and the oxygen tanks that helped infected lungs to breathe ran low. What started as a demand for 30 to 40 jumbo cylinders of oxygen per day escalated to 170. Dr. Ruth Anna Abraham, the chief medical officer of Pune Adventist Hospital, said, Because the cylinders took quite some time to reach us, there were a couple of times when we were really scared that the care of many patients would be jeopardized. At the peak of the crisis, India saw over 400,000 new cases of COVID every day. As beds and equipment to care for patients became completely used up, the number of otherwise avoidable deaths began to climb. With the infection spreading out of control and hospitals turning people away, 
staying at home became a less and less viable way to avoid getting sick. What was a silver lining for many North Americans was simply another day in the trenches for families in India. In these trying moments, ADRA stepped up and demonstrated the power of its network. Partnering with Adventist hospitals across India, ADRA worked to improve the critical care of COVID patients. Hospitals received ventilators, oxygen concentrators, PPE, and other medical equipment. This included multi-parameter monitors used especially in intensive care units or the ER to track patients' vital signs. We're talking cardiac activity, blood pressure, respiration, oxygen saturation, and temperature. As such, while ADRA's response was centered on the pandemic, the equipment provided in India served to reinforce essential hospital infrastructure that would be used for medical cases beyond COVID. This was an investment in sustainability for these hospitals and healthcare workers. One patient named Ravi Gandhi explained the tangible difference this made. In his own words, I had a severe lung infection caused by COVID-19 and was being treated in one of the private hospitals in Surat, Gujarat. I spent almost 20 days in that hospital, but they were not able to maintain or even regularly monitor my oxygen level. So I transferred to Meta's Seventh-day Adventist Hospital as soon as I could. There, I recovered within five to six days. Now I can breathe without an oxygen tank again. While stories like Ravi's are an encouragement and a blessing, the truth is that people should not have to face such dire circumstances and decisions. This is why promoting health is an essential part of how ADRA works to create a more just world. In the same spirit as the Adventist pioneers and the leadership of Ellen G. White, ADRA puts the logical implications of the Adventist health message into practical application. Our Together project, with generous support from Global Affairs Canada, works with remote and indigenous communities in Cambodia, Kenya, the Philippines, and Uganda to ensure that the most vulnerable people in these areas can exercise their health-related human rights. Very often, these most vulnerable individuals are women and girls. In settings far removed from major urban areas, access to quality health care is already sparse. But there are unique additional obstacles that arise based on gender discrimination. Gender roles and social assumptions often place women and girls in vulnerable positions and deny them the decision-making power they are inherently entitled to. The result is that many people find themselves both far from the care they need and unable to make informed choices about the care they do get. Together, is addressing these issues by increasing access to health care while also ensuring its quality. The project strengthens the confidence of women and girls, helping them to take control of their own health. This includes empowering them to seek support services for victims of gender-based violence. The training and increased capacity that are gained through this program also empower healthcare providers, social workers, and educators to deliver inclusive health and nutrition services to those in need. Men, boys, and those who hold privileged positions of communal and religious leadership are also encouraged to become champions and protectors of women and girls. By changing their ideas and attitudes about women, men are invited to uphold the health and well-being of their wives, daughters, sisters, and friends. Back in India, ADRA's network similarly makes it a point to target those who are most vulnerable. The Adventist hospital system in India offers subsidized or even free care to those living in poverty. Now, as I was preparing this, 
I regained an appreciation for the fact that when it comes to health, the dichotomy between the privileged and the poor is a perennial one. It would seem to stretch back even into biblical times. In the book of Leviticus, specifically chapter 13 to chapter 14, the Israelite community receives instructions in what is essentially an early form of quarantine to counteract the spread of infectious skin diseases. Along with the prohibitions against unclean animals that exist in chapter 11 of that same book, Adventists have long interpreted many of the instructions in Leviticus as having crucial implications for healthy living. So, for example, Adventists who do eat meat don't eat any of the animals listed as unclean in the book of Leviticus. And that's an example of Adventists using Levitical laws as a precedent for health principles. Now, it's important to not forget that the implications of these practices were not always the same for the rich and the poor. And this is something you can observe even in the Bible's own stories. 2 Kings 15 verses 1 to 7 recalls King Uzziah of Judah, whose 52-year reign began when he was only 16 years old. The scripture gives his tenure as king mixed reviews. On the one hand, it says that he pleased the Lord in all the ways his father Amaziah had. On the other hand, his failure to eliminate the high places of cultic apostasy apparently led God to punish him with lifelong leprosy. Uzziah was forced to live out his days quarantined in a separate house, while his son Jotham occupied the palace and enforced his father's rule as a regent. While we aren't given a specific start date for his illness, the length of Uzziah's reign and the permanence of his leprosy implies that he spent a considerably long time living in isolation. And while it's easy to sympathize with the plight of a character who's forced to live alone, Uzziah still had the privilege of a separate house, as far as the wording goes in the Bible, to live in. To many of the lepers who lived later in the time of Jesus, Uzziah's years of leprosy would probably have seemed fairly luxurious. The lepers that Jesus met were people who had been forced out of society by the very principles that were designed to reduce the risk of infection. Some, like the 10 men encountered in the book of Luke, chapter 17, may not have had spare houses to quarantine in, but managed to find some sense of community among other lepers. Others, like the man Jesus healed in Luke 5, 12-16, seem to have suffered all alone. Neither case is enviable. The 10 lepers of Luke 17 are so thoroughly stigmatized and isolated that they can only cry to Jesus for help from a distance. And in so examining the biblical precedent for quarantine, we must also examine the dichotomy of privilege and poverty. Just as King Uzziah lived out his leprous days in a separate house, I have the luxury of writing about how COVID lockdowns let me play with my dog more in my safe, warm apartment in Canada. And while I won't deny that there is almost certainly an under-examined collective existential trauma carried by those of us who spent too much time in various states of quarantine and lockdown, I can hardly compare the hours I spent binge-watching shows on Disney Plus to Ravi Gandhi's 20 consecutive days struggling to breathe. In the face of extreme human suffering, the line between count your blessings and check your privilege grows drastically thinner. But the Christian belief is that it is this kind of suffering that compelled the word to become flesh and tabernacle among us, as it says in the first chapter of John's gospel. 
What Christians believe is that in his incarnation, Jesus, acting as history's greatest frontline healthcare provider, proverbially pitched his tent in a colony of lepers. And it is this model of self-sacrificing love and compassion that compels ADRA and other Seventh-day Adventists all over the world to give, to serve, and to bridge the gap between privilege and poverty. So Ellen White, one of Adventism's founders, said famously that the medical missionary work of the Adventist church was the right arm of what Adventists call the third angel's message, which comes from the book of Revelation. As far as she narrated it, Adventism has a message to bring to the world, but that message would be delivered through providing health care to people. And true as it may be that this health message and our health work and our advocacy and our hospitals are the right arm of Adventism's gospel proclamation, it remains for believers and individuals to take on the task of being as many Christians say, the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Some people may find it confusing or unclear how religious faith motivates people to become socially active or involved in charity work. And this is a pretty good example. The belief that because God loved the world and chose to visit it, chose to be alive among people, we should do the same and learn what it means to meet people's suffering face-to-face. And I think that is a huge part of Adra's philosophy. Health is not only a pillar of the Seventh-day Adventist belief system and practices, but it's one of the central concerns of human life. It's not enough for people to merely exist or survive. At Adra, we take it seriously that Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We believe that good health is a part of that abundant life and that it's up to all of us to protect and uphold that right for one another. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you've come to have a deeper appreciation for how Adra promotes health for all people. Don't forget about DFRO, which is happening very soon, And next time, we'll be back with more information for you about the situation in Sudan. I'm your host, Teresa Ferreira, and as always, our mission at ADRA Canada is to serve humanity so all may live as God intended.